chose not to go back because I I took into account the things that you mentioned, like the second wave, um, just the fact that it is it is very difficult because as a teacher, we I know some educators may feel like there should be a wall in between you and your students, but for me, I feel like there should be a connection. So just the simple fact of I want to be at least you know. Uh, three feet near them uh, you know that distance that you even have to put between you and your students just to teach them in a pandemic situation I, I knew that would be difficult for me thank you so much for tuning in to wove inspirations monday motivation i am your host althea richardson and today my special guest is educator writing coach and author cassidy a lee She's going to share her experience as an educator who made that hard decision to leave the teaching industry due to the pandemic. She's also going to talk about what it is to be a writing coach and what she offers is sound advice to current and future authors looking to have their book published as well as steps in making sure their first book is successful. Her newest book entitled Finding Peace During the Healing Process, a 21-day devotional, provides encouraging words to offer hope during this trying time. So you guys sit back and enjoy this interview with my guest today. Her name is Cassidy A. Lee on Wove Inspiration, The Monday Motivation. Cassidy, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for having me. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, um, I like to call it my second act because um, apart from being an educator, I am also a writer. I started my writing ministry in 2009 and due to the pandemic, I didn't return to the classroom. And so I just decided to go all in and work on my writing. And I published my first book called Finding Peace During the Healing Process. And I just hit the ground running ever since. I have been very passionate about encouraging God's people through my work. So I want my work to be very intentional in that I wanted to bring healing and restoration. I don't just want to put anything out into the world. So that's been my focus, especially during this season. And I'm very thankful that I've had the opportunity to really focus on my craft and reach others through it. Okay. So what influenced you into becoming an educator? Well, I come from a family of educators and actually I was an undergrad for pre-law. That was supposed to be the goal I was going to major in English and then go on to law school, but I became involved in an organization called AmeriCorps, and we mentored and tutored second through fifth grade students in the extended day program in our school system. Ever since then, I just, I've been involved in education in, in several different capacities, from being a paraprofessional to an English teacher to a school librarian. And it's just very important for me to 
being involved in my community, especially as far as education is involved, because I believe in starting with the youth. And that's basically what kicked off my career in education. I think it's been about 15 years now. Okay. Okay. And why did writing become a ministry for you? Writing has always been a part of my life. It's how I've expressed myself since I was very young. I believe fifth grade, we had to write, we had to read a newspaper article and then basically use the information that we got from the newspaper article and then put together our own features, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I put my own little spin on it. Um, I And I hadn't, I hadn't been taught how to write a feature. I didn't even learn how to do that until college. And my teacher read it to the class and she was just, she was moved by the fact that it it was natural. Most of the skills that I had in English, she hadn't really taught me. So from then on, I started to share my work more often because my family knew that I could write, but I was still very, um, not so much shy as I was just hesitant to share. And so from then on, I started to share my work more, my poetry especially. And there's a creative arts school. um, It's called the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. I earned a full scholarship to go to their summer program. And I studied short story writing. And just that ability to be trained in my craft opened up more doors for me, especially when workshops come into the picture where you have people literally taking apart your work piece by piece. And so that kind of built me up and being into being the writer that I am. And as far as it becoming a ministry, I realized that not only was it encouraging to others when they read my work, it was a sort of healing for me as well. And Mm -hmm. so it has a twofold um, manifestation in that Mm -hmm. respect. Now, one of the interesting things that you were that you initially talked about when you were talking about how you got into being an educator is initially you started off going into law mm-hmm. and in and, and English, but then something changed. So that and it's 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 really awesome in that when God does that, he puts you in a position where it's like you have to try something different mm-hmm. your initial intention was to be to go into law but you were put into a different area so to speak and you ended up doing some com- something completely different and you're now very successful in it and you have a passion for it so that's awesome yes ma'am because you it's just so I think it's funny because I know just how averse I was to going into education. I didn't (laughs) want to do the same thing. I didn't believe I had the patience, all of that. I didn't, it, it, education is really a work of heart and you have to put so much of yourself into it. I just, it was not on my radar at all. And so I think it is so amazing how God will have you do a 180. And, and send you off into a different direction than what you initially established for yourself. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it, it goes back to there's a scripture that basically says, and, and it's interesting how people read it. You, It's read, you know, he gives you the desires of your heart. And mm-hmm. most of the time, individuals, when they read that scripture, they're reading it as if it is, you believe God for this house, let's say, for example, he will give you the desires of your heart. But when you really read it, it actually is saying that he is the one that puts those desires in your heart to do the things that he purposed for you to do. So Mm -hmm. when you were talking about at one point, you were like, I don't do education because you got to (laughs) have a lot of patience. And trust me, I actually had a thought of teaching children. I was like, (laughs) that is not my gift and that desire did not come to pass (laughs) at all because I know it's a lot of work and you have to have a lot of patience working with with young minds and also keeping their minds uh focused on on the task at hand so how was it for you when you were in working in the school system it was very it was difficult ironically not on my part as far as giving of myself that actually came naturally and of course understanding just that desire that started to manifest now i understand why it was easy for me to give of myself um as far as my students are concerned but the support was lacking and i know many educators can relate to the fact that as far as the classroom you're almost an island and you're thrown into different situations and you rarely have support systems in place to, you know, come and rescue you, so to speak, if you are feeling overwhelmed or if, say for instance, if you're you're having behavior problems in, in the classroom. And so my first year was very much about figuring out where I wanted to go from that point on, um, was this something that I wanted to do? Did I want to retire from education? It, it just, it, it really made me think of things in the long term because I was a new teacher and I did not have the support that I needed in the classroom, but it also helped me to become more of a self starter. I will go into a situation and I will research, I will get whatever I need to be successful in that position now. And so I can look back and be thankful from from that perspective of, okay, now I know that if no one else is going to invest in me, I will definitely invest in myself. And so if it comes to professional development, I will pay for my own professional development if it, if it comes to that, just yeah. because I know how important it is to actually grow, especially when you have, like you said, young minds that you're trying to, you know, mold and train for their futures. Now, I'm, I'm going to kind of switch the dial just a little bit because, you know, we're in the middle of an uh, of a pandemic now. And the one of the hot topics has been teachers and students going back into the classroom. So right. what's your take on, on that whole situation, whether, you know, is it possible for even the teachers to go forward in, in holding classes with this pandemic 
being as bad as it is. And it seems like it's we're on a second wave now. Mm-hmm. I, I'll start personally and then I'll, I'll um, give a, a larger perspective looking from, you know, from the outside. I chose not to go back because I, I took into account the things that you mentioned, like the second wave, um, just the fact that it is it is very difficult because as a teacher, we I know some educators may feel like there should be a wall in between you and your students, but for me, I feel like there should be a connection. So just the simple fact of I want to be at least you know uh, three feet near them, uh, you know that distance that you even have to put between you and your students just to teach them in a pandemic situation, I, I knew that would be difficult for me just because I, I, I like to relate and have, have them understand that I support them. So I knew that that would be very difficult. Then as far as my family, and again, like I said, as a teacher, you have to give a lot of yourself. And I, because there weren't enough plans in place going into the situation, literally, I... I remember it being the week before school and the school district I had planned to go into still did not have a solid plan. This is a week before school. Wow. And the stress of that was just, it, it was a lot. It, it was mentally and physically draining. Mm-hmm. So to protect myself and my family, because I wouldn't have been able to fully isolate myself, I decided not to go back. Yeah. It just was not an option for me to put them at risk in that way especially if and I know school districts it's very important for them to keep things rolling because people are seeing now how vital schools are just to communities continuing to function and of course we know that but now our nation is starting to understand that and so I knew that it would be get back in the classroom as as quickly as possible. And I knew that that was not something that could happen in a pandemic. So for me, I decided if I could not be fully virtual, I would not go back. Now from the outside looking in, I have seen some districts in my state of Louisiana that have done well as far as they have procedures in place. Everyone is uh, holding themselves accountable. They are making sure that they are taking care of things on their end so that they're not bringing anything back. They're being transparent. Then I've seen other districts where most likely they will be fully virtual again in January because before the pandemic, they had issues with the schools cleaning on a regular basis. And so, of course, as teachers, we already know going into it, that's going to be an issue. They're not going to clean on a regular basis, you know, in such a way that they could keep things sanitary um, in those high traffic areas. And so that ended up becoming an issue. So I believe it can be done in much, much smaller districts. And if everyone is holding themselves accountable, but do I think it's worth it? Honestly, I really don't. Um, And and of course, that's just Cassidy speaking for Cassidy. I don't want anyone to feel as I don't want anyone to feel guilty for making certain decisions because I know everyone's situation is is different. But as for me and my house, (laughs) we're going to isolate 
and we're not going to add to the problem. Right. So that's, that's my position on that. I think fully virtual can be done. I'm very heavy into tech integration, so it can be done, but people did not take the proper steps ahead of time to have it ready for this school year. And that's why there's so much just chaos. Yeah, yeah. I don't think a lot of people expected it to be the way that it is now. And and now we're going into a second wave, so to speak. And, you know, they, they're able to be, they're a lot more prepared than they were initially because they now know what they're dealing with. But still, mm-hmm. there's an issue with, and I, and I completely understand with the idea that of teachers being in the classrooms and then coming home to maybe someone who has a, a, a older parent in the, in the family or, or whatever the case is, or you have kids that live with grandparents or, and that could be at risk. So it's, this has been really interesting to t- 2020. I, <laughs> I, I'm, and then one of the other things that really didn't make any sense to me is the fact that because they didn't have like a, um, a vaccine for this mm. it would have made sense to me to keep the kids out at least until january because you're looking at the holidays you got thanksgiving coming up you got christmas and of course you know families going to want to spend time with each other and so mm. now you're in the middle we're doing this pandemic thing you wanting to send them the kids back to school now but then you're going to end up sending them back anyway so why not wait until january and then assess going forward i don't know it's just just crazy it's a lot of pressure i believe that's being put on the school districts to, to you know go ahead and send the children back and so it's it's kind of like a your hands are tied situation for some of them yeah it's it's really sad, but I, I just continue to pray for those teachers that that made that decision and and have made that commitment that they are going to stick it out for their children because that's for a lot of the teachers that's their heart and they and that's what they want to do for the kids and right. you know we just hope that that everything works out for the good. Amen. So July of this year, you released your first book and it's called Finding Peace During the Healing Process. And it's a 21 day devotional. Tell us a little bit about that book. Yes, it actually started out as just several blog posts. And I started to see themes that were connected together. They built on each other and I thought to myself, why not go ahead and put them together? And so that's where the book, it was birthed from just putting together all the insights and things that I I had started to gain from different experiences over the past, I believe two years or so, because I started working on it two years ago. And I realized that a part of the healing process because it's different for everyone and it's such a it's so unique and and, but it's so complicated in the sense that you may make progress one day and then the next day 
you, you may take, you know, however many steps back. And so the point of saying finding peace during the process is because even if you are still struggling to maybe get over grief or move through a particular storm, you're still able to have peace as you're doing it. Yeah. And so one of the focuses is to not only teach those particular lessons, because I have it in the structure of, I start out each day with a scripture, then an observation, how to apply it, the information, and then a prayer at the end. And so, you know, as, as you're going through each step, the, the one of the focuses should also be to have peace as you're as you're going through your storm or your grief. Yeah. Was this uh, written based on any personal experience? I will say it was it's sprinkled throughout different experiences come up. In 2016, Louisiana just it, it was flooding everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so my home flooded. We had about five feet of water. So everything I lost about 90% of what I own. So a lot of my writings even are things that I have backed up, digitized. And so just that experience, also losing my dad in 2009, which was when I started my blog to begin with, my writing ministry. Mm -hmm. And just other things that I didn't touch on in detail because I'm leaving those for later projects. Right. But I did use them as sort of a foundation to build from, especially the insight that I gained from those particular situations. Mm-hmm. And you said, so in this devotional, there's a lot of scriptures and, and throughout the uh, devotional. Is there one particular scripture that you really consider like the scripture to one of many scriptures that's like your favorite i believe it's philippians 4 12 through 14 and just to paraphrase it is when paul is saying that he can live in any situation mm-hmm. whether he has it's in plenty or in lack and so that's from the entry that talks about there being freedom and contentment. Yes. And I make the distinction between contentment and complacency. And I believe that's a very important distinction because oftentimes we feel as if, oh, this is where I am now. I shouldn't be comfortable. Well, yes, that, that is correct. But you sometimes we will be impulsive. We will feel as if we have to get to a certain place at a certain time and we may push something outside of God's timing just mm-hmm. because we feel as if we've gotten comfortable and that's not that's not what contentment is. I can I can be in this situation right now as I'm trying to change my career and still be okay. Yeah. I don't feel any need to strike out. I don't feel anxiety about it. I am content, but I'm not complacent. Every single day I'm doing something that is moving me toward my goals for the yeah. long term. I always focus on on the long game. And so I think just Paul's ability to, especially in his situation, say I'm okay whether I have you know, enough money or if, if I don't have enough money, if I have something to eat, if I don't have something to eat. And I think that's very important for people to learn, especially 
now as we're going through so many different transitions and so many aspects of our lives. Yeah, exactly. That That's a really good scripture, even pertaining to, you know, what's going on with us today in, in this COVID situation, mm-hmm. um, individuals that have lost their jobs and everything. And a lot of people, at least a, a, some of my friends that are, are um, Christians, they've discovered that 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 project that they were supposed to be working on before all of this hit and they, you know, put it aside for a period of time for whatever reason, job or whatever, when they lost their job, it's like God had them to remember, Oh, you remember that project that I needed you to work Mm. on and you kind of put aside. Now you got plenty of time to work on it. (laughs) And so it's, and it's like a lot of people that are going through all of that as well. And I think this God has just put this time aside for us to, yes, we need to be content in whatsoever state that we're in. That is absolutely true. Let's switch gears again. You are also a coach for new authors and you provide a book coaching service. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yes. I, first I started out tutoring, I will say doctoral level students or master level students. And they needed me to look over their dissertations and things like that. And then eventually I branched out into working with a young lady who wanted to put her first book together. And it it started moving more and more towards, well, let me put together a a complete program and specifically target working with new authors. And I also started to, I'm working on putting that all together in a book format to also use to, to guide writing conferences and things of that nature. And so I think it's very important, especially for... And, and I won't even call myself a seasoned author, but just a, a seasoned, you know, writer and editor to try to mentor people who are just stepping out, especially into publishing, because there are these little nuances. And if you don't have someone who's who's there to help you and guide you and give you the insight that you need, you end up... Uh, in, in some instances, spending money that you don't need to spend, yeah. or you have to go back and redo things because you didn't know the, the exact process for submitting a manuscript or getting something to print or even what print-on-demand companies to use because using Amazon and using Ingram Spark are two different things and two different print qualities, so to speak. So things of that nature is very important for people to have someone to guide them through that process. So I wanted to expand my services from just helping with the editing process, but also helping with editing, marketing, well, publishing and marketing. Okay. Okay. So you you basically take them from point A to point B finished. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. So what, what are some of the steps that you go through with your, with your clients? Definitely the first step is to find out how far they want to take their writing. And when I say that, I mean, 
Do they just want to self-publish? Do they want to eventually submit to a traditional publishing company? Do they, is it something that they want as, and I've, I've met people online who just do it as a hobby, they're hobby writers, and they don't necessarily want to use it as a continual stream of income or write professionally. They just want to release their work and they want an audience that will you know, read it and give them feedback. And if they get paid for it, that's awesome. You have people who have that particular goal in mind. And so figuring out exactly what track, so to speak, an author would like to follow is very important before you get started because it could be uh, as simple as I, I advise one person. Well, if you are just trying to hobby write, you may want to start a blog and just monetize your blog for the time being. And then as you get into a process of consistently writing and submitting to your blog, you can put all of that together. And then if you want to complete a manuscript, you, you already have content to work with. And so that worked for her at that point. So I believe figuring out exactly what they want to do in the long run is very important. Okay. Okay. Very structured. I love it because there are a lot of people that are out there wanting to write and get their, get themselves published, but they really don't know how detail oriented it can be (laughs) and just getting, getting someone to edit or even, you know, just want to market the part, the marketing part, I would think is the most strenuous part of it. And just getting your getting your name out there, getting your brand out there, and and getting your book out there, I'm I'm pretty sure that's a a work in and of itself. Oh yes, ma'am. I, whew, I'm very introverted, and but I'm an uh, INFJ, so I'm a feeler introvert. So I love being around people, but it's still draining for me. Yeah. And so it's. It's good that a lot of things are virtual right now because that helps me conserve my energy, but it's still exhausting because you still have to market. But there are different platforms and that's another thing. If if they're low energy like me, I will send them down a track where they, they queue up all of their social media posts. There are things like later.com that you can use. And so that saves me a lot because it's, it's very, it, to have the proper engagement with your re- with your readership is crucial, yeah. and you. I think what they also forget is that once it's out there, you're the person who is going to be responsible for getting it to sell, and that's whether it's self-published or through a traditional publisher. One of the things I learned as I was researching publishing was that traditional publishers want someone who knows an author who knows how to who knows how to market themselves mm-hmm. and who is not going to fully rely on the publisher to get the book seen to go out and to make opportunities for um, their readership to find their work and so that's something that I've been very intentional about how I how I not only market but how I brand and, and how much I put out there. And so that's another aspect that I think people are overwhelmed by because 
is strenuous enough to finish the manuscript. And like mm-hmm. you said, just marketing in and of itself is, is a lot. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What's the best way to, to start as, as far as a new author? Should they go to the traditional publisher or should they self-publish at first? I would say, and again, this is just Cassidy speaking for Cassidy, because mm-hmm. I know some people who can go through a traditional publisher, but what I noticed over the, I will say last decade, because I continue to uh, research and, 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 and just read different submission guidelines and things like that. I've noticed that traditional publishers aren't accepting unsolicited manuscripts okay. as often as they may have done in the past. And so I noticed that they are more apt to request that you send your manuscript through a literary agent. And so I think if someone goes through a literary agent, because of that, that, that need for one to even submit to a traditional publisher, I would say be mindful of people not offering results because I've noticed many people are asking for authors to pay things up front and that's not necessarily how it's done. Okay. Um, they're supposed to get paid when you get paid. So I would say self-publishing to get your feet wet is probably the best bet, especially if you aren't familiar with publishing. Now, there is a difference between self-publishing and then publishing through a vanity press. And so a vanity press is they refer to themselves as sometimes a publishing company, but they are, they're doing the editing. They may even market for you, but you're paying them to have all of those things done. With a traditional publisher, they're going to handle all those costs and they may pay you in advance, but they're going to handle all of that on their end and they have to, you know, help you well, you help each other get your book to sell. But with a vanity press, you're paying for all of those things up front. And so that's what I mean by people have to be wary of organizations of that nature. And so I, I do have a friend. It worked out for her to go through a, van, a, a vanity press. But I decided to go through Ingram Spark and Amazon, which are print on demand publishers and so once basically someone submits that they want to buy a copy and that's when it gets printed versus I'm paying in bulk to have the books printed and then I distribute them to anyone who purchases them so just things like that that's why even though I, I there are all different instances where they work out well you may want to go through a print on demand publisher to start because it's a lot of upfront cost. Yeah. If you don't. Okay. Cassidy, you have provided such a wealth of information in particular (laughs) as it it pertains to uh, um, being a a new author and everything. How can people get in contact with you and also be able to purchase your uh, book, Finding Peace, during the healing process? 
Yes, they can find all of my information on my website at www.cassidyalee.com. And it has um, the paperback version and the ebook version of my book available in my online shop. And they, they can also get in contact with me through my social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. And my handle is Cassidy A. Lee 42. And on Twitter, it's simply Cassidy A. Lee. I'm also on Goodreads. If you search for my name or if you search for the title of the book, Finding Peace During the Healing Process. Awesome. Good, good, good information. Thank you so much for tuning in to Wove Inspiration, the Monday edition. Wove Inspiration interviews men and women who use their voice to share their stories of overcoming issues such as mental illness, abuse, and many other obstacles in life. Everyone has a story, some good, some not so good. The common factor for guests on Wove Inspiration are their victorious endings. You can follow us and leave comments on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Wove Inspiration. You can also subscribe to this show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or any other platforms you listen to podcasts.